When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And you can probably, I think a lot of uh, your listeners can intuit uh, when, you know, if some, if they come across somebody who is in, in their cohort or in their group, because I, I describe a few experiences as sort of like my higher mind wants to, you know, when I first met the people the first time, like at the gym or some event, it was like I didn't even talk to them. It was like my higher mind recognized them. It was trying to jump into their head to say, here I am, here you are, who were we, who are we? It was unnerving. And that would go on, I mean, and this also happened for somebody who's a good friend, uh, my last life, who wasn't part of the cohort, who I went through Cambridge University with, became a good friend in London, and I had met him uh, three lives ago when I was traveling to Philadelphia from Baltimore, to learn more about the Comte de Saint Germain, who was this master who absolutely fascinated me. And I met him uh, in an art gallery and had all these conversations with him. Well, so it is just so interesting to kind of go beyond the veil. But even if you don't, the main point I want to get across is, is to make best use of your life and decide what you want to achieve because I'm sure everybody's familiar, most people are familiar with the famous quote attributed to Teilhard de Chardin, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, we are, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head for thousands of years. This ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we help you calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience the joy of being alive. In today's episode, I chat with Michael Goddard about amazing and profound topics such as soul journeys, past lives, soul mates, and the questions that you've always had on your mind but didn't know who to ask. So, If you like this topic and you'd like to support our efforts, you like My 7 Chakras and you consider yourself part of the Action Tribe Army, then make sure you hit the subscribe button and share this episode with a friend because 
if you are not subscribed firstly you're not going to get any of the new episodes that we release and i'd like to share that i'm on a wave here i'm riding a wave and you do not want to miss any of our future episodes so hit that small little button called subscribe and make sure you share this episode now before we start we're going to read out our latest itunes review by one of our wonderful listeners called felix martin on itunes who says life changing i am beyond grateful and appreciative of aj's work and his dedication to amazing subjects the podcast has changed my life i have learned so much about the chakras breath work holistic healing and yoga and meditation aj always knows some discussion points it has helped me change my outlook in life and i am on my way to my ideal scene abundance and bliss what a wonderful review by one of our listeners thank you so much felix and If you're listening to this and if you'd like for me to read out your review as well just write us a review on iTunes go to my7chakras.com/review that's my7chakras.com/review I listen I read all reviews and I read them out as well for all of our listeners globally With that being said let's bring on our special guest for today Michael Goddard who's with me right now Michael Goddard is the author most recently of In Search of Lost Lives, a winner of the American Book Fest Best Book Award, the Living Now Book Award, the Body Mind Spirit Book Award, and the National Indie Excellence Award. His new transformative book, A New Now, Your Guide to Mastering Wisdom Daily, Achieving Equilibrium and Empowering Your Nobler Self, gives readers a valuable guide to awakening and empowering their higher consciousness so that they can readily navigate their life successfully happily easily and discover how to live in their new now and so we have you know michael right here hey michael welcome to our show thank you aj thank you so much for the introduction Absolutely. i'm happy to be here wonderful wonderful and for viewers who are watching me right now you might notice i'm sweating like crazy that is because vancouver is pretty hot right now and for those of who who look at the map and say you know vancouver is in the northern hemisphere right that doesn't make sense but we're going through a heat wave right now so don't mind me wash you know wiping my forehead because it, it is kind of hot but but uh, michael it's so great to have you on our show and i have so many topics and so many themes to explore i'm really grateful for you joining our show but if we could perhaps start with where were you born and brought up because our listeners especially like to learn more about our guest in terms of how it started in this lifetime oh well this lifetime <laughs> <laughs> from what i recall what i what i've read in my birth certificate I was born in Chicago, Illinois, uh, in September, September 3rd. And <clears throat> my mother couldn't take the winters anymore, so when I was 10, we moved to Marin County, California. And my life really totally changed. It was a life-changing event because um a few weeks or a month after we moved there, um I I bought a book on self-hypnosis and automatic writing. and i was trying started out of the blue started trying to contact the spirit world and uh i was hypnotizing myself to improve myself and my mother was a very fine artist uh she was showing in galleries all over the bay area 
So I would accompany her to art galleries, mainly on Sutter Street, and after about a half hour, leave the gallery, and there was a fabulous metaphysical bookshop uh, on Sutter Street. And I would go in there and pull down books and read them, and I felt there was a book I was searching for. I just needed to find the right book. So uh, just skipping from there, um, I, I did find uh, some metaphysical books. Uh, Edgar Casey was an early one I read when I was 12. And as soon as I came across the word reincarnation, I immediately knew it was true and accepted it as true. And by that time, I was really uh, focused on my spiritual search. Um, we had left our main religious community uh, outside Chicago. And at, just after I turned 11, we had sort of a kind of an impromptu service in our house. And I, it just struck me that for me, uh, maybe not other people, but for me, all organized religions didn't have anything to, to, to offer me. So I let go of my parents' religion, and I had been raising tropical fish, AJ, since I was five. And unfortunately, from time to time, I had to flush one down the toilet uh, because it had died. Uh, so I was very well acquainted with death and how easily it can come. And as a little kid, I was trying to picture and visualize my own death, and I just had an overwhelming uh, experience of dread and fear and loathing. So it's pretty audacious, but it's true. Uh, at the age of 11, I decided to dedicate my life to achieving immortality, finding a way to achieve immortality, but with a consciousness of absolute bliss. And so that really catapulted me into my search. So all through my preteens and my teens, I was searching, uh, and things would trigger something. I remember uh, when I was about 12 or 13, I was putzing around in one of my aquariums. I was a big tropical fish person, obviously. And on the news, there was someone who had walked from San Francisco to Salt Lake City, and they mentioned that he was a vegetarian. Well, that like flipped on a light switch in my head, and I just knew I'd become a vegetarian, but I knew I couldn't do it while I was living at home. There'd be too much opposition. So I knew when I would become turn 21, when I'd be legally responsible for my actions, then I would become vegetarian. Well, um, I ended up uh, going to UC Berkeley, and I had a junior year abroad. I was a history fellow at the University of Warwick. And then I, by then I had been meditating daily in, uh, since I was 19, sometimes two to five times a day. And while I was in England, I tried being a vegetarian, but the only thing we could eat, vegetarians, were, were beans and chips. And luckily the beans weren't cooked and lard like they are in the US. But eventually I gave that up. But um, when I turned, uh, when I came back to the US, I wanted to spend the summer on Mykonos, finishing a novel I had started. I felt this ineluctable pull to come back to Berkeley. And I did, and I got an apartment. Short after, shortly after I got my apartment, my best friend from high school called, and he was going to India. And we had been searching together, and he had found a spiritual path. And he told me about one of the main books. And I hurried down to Shambhala and bought the book. and. After reading the preface, I knew it was for me, 
So uh, when I turned 21, I became a vegetarian. And I've been meditating uh, ever since, at least two and a half hours a day. But, but this was my path of spirituality and meditation. I'm not here to advocate anything from, for anyone. What I want to do is empower and encourage people to take responsibility for the greatest gift possible, which is your human life. As we recently experienced, some people who thought they were going to live another 20 or 40 years are gone. You don't know what's going to happen from the time you leave the curb till, till you get to the other end of the street. So in my books, it's all about empowering you on your search. As a seeker, we're, we're seeking after truth. And you continue, I feel, to seek after truth until you become the truth which is really the end of this ultimate spiritual journey we're all on. You start your book by writing, I always wanted to know who I was. And this is as a child, at night in bed, on my belly, my palms joined, with the TV blaring from the living room, unbeknownst to my parents, I would silently repeat my prayer of thanks to God, and then lower myself and press my cheek against my pillow and wonder about my life. So talk to us about this phase of your childhood, because it feels like you were already prepared from your childhood for this deep inquiry about you know the nature of reality. Talk to us about that phase in your life. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, I, I was born into this uh, very strife-torn family. It was sort of like we were all practically at war with each other. Uh, and as I later discovered, it was my first life with all of them. Uh, it was actually a very abusive household and in, in, in all different ways, depending on the other family member. So my, my bedroom was my sanctuary. And it was there that I, I really wanted to dedicate myself to taking charge of my life and, and making, the most, making the most of it. Uh, and I just couldn't bear the thought of kind of dying without knowing anything and just coming back into God knows what situation. You know, as I told you, I first came across the concept of reincarnation when I was 12. So I didn't know what I would come back as. And as I recovered, I mean, I, I began to literally recover. I mean, I had many inklings, many kind of glimmerings and knowings for years, uh, which are uh, illustrated and illuminated in, in my memoir. But I really began to recover of the past lives in 2013 on the anniversary of my initiation birthday onto this path of meditation. And, uh, and that revealed, uh, revealed a lot. But before that, see, I was primed to search for, for a very early age. There's a lot of preparation many of us go through uh, between lives uh, in terms of the brilliant composer doesn't just out of the blue start composing music at the age of five, like Mozart. There, there's a real preparation for that. And most, most of what we go through is really so much of our fate and our destiny. And you can toss out that word if it doesn't resonate with you. But anyway, desires are very much a key to who we are. Because um, like when I was an architect three lives ago, I had a hard time supporting my family, we had four children, and I was getting all these commercial architecture commissions. 
So I had this great desire to design residential architecture, but it, it did not come my way. So that strong desire congealed really into at the age of nations, out of the blue. I didn't know why I was doing it. My parents didn't mind. As long as I was quiet and not fighting with my brother, they were happy. But I just kept it up, kind of uh, designing my dream home. I found it fascinating. And right after we moved to California, I had a portfolio. And I don't know how, but I had heard that Frank Lloyd Wright, the famous architect, had an office in San Francisco. So I sent in my portfolio to ask his opinion. And he invited me in for an, an interview and uh, gave me a book uh, by Frank Lloyd Wright, which he autographed. And he offered me a job when I finished high school. So that kind of like, you know, I kind of ended that that path. I shortly did not have the desire to become a lives ago. It, it doesn't make sense. We don't know why certain people come into our life, why we do things. Believe me, everything makes sense and everything can be explained, but not at our level. I mean, at a certain higher level, it all makes sense. It's all just, it's all fair. And the thing is, that one of the huge challenges of living here, uh, you know, is that well, we come in with, with a certain amount of debts. Debts, karmic debts, are, are really just the reactions of actions you've taken. And you don't know if you are going through a sinship karma, that's a Sanskrit word for basically your reserve karma, or your palab karma, which is a Sanskrit for your destiny karma, or kriyaman, which is when you're creating new karma. So everything you do creates a reaction. So if you have this ardent desire that you want to seek the truth, you want an enlightened consciousness, that's going to bear fruit. But keep watering it. You know, it's not going to happen just because you want it to happen one moment and that's it. Thank you for sharing. And so for people who are watching right now or maybe listening right now on Facebook and YouTube, because that's where we are streaming, try to share this you know, stream because what you'll do is you'll expose more people to this profound conversation that we're having, which is about why you're here and maybe starting the inquiry about your past lives, uh, which is something that everyone thinks about at some point in their life. But before that, um, you've said in your book that we are mind and soul entities traveling through time. So talk to us about this. Yes, well, it's, I'm, I'm glad you, you, you read that. Uh, many people just think of themselves as, as their thoughts, that's their whole identity. And the fact is our true essence, who we are, is the soul, which is really a, a drop of the divine ocean, a, a, a spark of the ultimate uh, consciousness of bliss, which is so beyond language and mind, you can't really even talk about it. But in our descent from that perfect realm of being, we had to take on the mind. Uh, basically, creation is, you can discuss it as having different realms. And um, we're in the physical realm right now. And above us, you can call it the astral realm. And above that, the causal. So to come down from the pure soul regions, we had to take on a, a mind. And uh, when we entered the causal region, we had took on a causal body and a causal mind. This is really simplifying it. And when we went down, descended into the astral, we took on an astral body 
in an astral mind. And then for the physical, when you were born, you have been developing a physical body in a furnace, a very tough, uncomfortable furnace for nine months. And gosh, uh, I couldn't wait to get out. Uh, let me tell you. Uh, so, you know, so then we're born and we have this physical body. And for a lot of people, you know, through a young age, maybe to the age of five, they can remember from before. They can remember, you know, certain members of their family were with them in a past life, what they wanted to do before they came in, uh, that type of thing. But, you know, we're born with a call of forgetting and we're meant to forget. And that's a really hard challenge on this game called life on Earth. Uh, Earth is a very tough school to go through. Uh, there are a lot of hard knocks and missed opportunities, and a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. So <clears throat> that's sort of the beginning, you know, of a response to, you know, mind and soul. But your your mind and soul have been knotted together for eons. Most people would believe, well, first of all, a lot of people totally reject the idea of reincarnation. They believe when they die, that's it. Either that, or they're going to ascend uh, to heaven, and there will be a 20-foot-long table with all their relatives around it, and they'll be eating Thanksgiving dinner all the time without getting full, uh, and not even having to go to the bathroom. Well, maybe that that will be a heaven for them if, if that's something they, they've earned, but you, you you can't predict it. So the thing is, the mind has been dominating the soul for, for eons. And I found out actually 12 lives back when I recovered my lives, that was the life for the first time after thousands of lives, AJ, when my higher mind began to predominate my lower mind. Two lives prior to that, they were in balance, the lower mind and higher mind, and I can explain what I mean by those terms later on. But all those lives before that, the lower mind was predominant in the majority of the time. Now, we, uh, I can go on and explain that a little bit if, if you'd like. Um, think of our mind as a vast sphere of activity. You can think about it as all kinds of weather. You can have hurricanes, thunderbolts, uh, just fine sultry breezes, perfect weather, hailstorms. And I'm sure we've experienced people going from neutral to total anger in moments. So you don't really know how somebody's going to react. And most people are really reactive. They're not masters of their mind, they're, they're the victims. And the mind is very much run by your senses. I mean, if you're eating one fabulous tortilla chip or taco, you you know, chances are you, you're gonna wanna keep eating. So, uh, or you're, you're gonna want, it's very easy to get addicted to anything, believe me. Um, I used to be addicted to smoking. I only smoked four to six or so cigarettes a day, but I realized I was addicted and I, I knew that because I loved smoking. Um, but I easily quit because I knew I knew about the mind and, and how to change that. But, um, but you also have a part of you that, that is your nobler self and that is your higher mind. It's the part of you that wants to be good, to be of service, that naturally expresses the virtues, which I write about the 33 essential virtues in my book, Spiritual Revolution. And, you know, and that's like gratitude and giving, that type of thing. 
And so in between them, it's what I call the habitual mind. It's sort of your neutral mind. It's the part of you that shows up. It like shows up for work at a certain time, takes out the garbage every Wednesday night, brushes your teeth twice a day. So what I do in my new book, New Now, is, is it's a very self-participatory experiential book where you can really experience your lower and higher mind and come to a greater, finer appreciation and understanding of what they are. And the book is really your own course, which you can practice for the rest of your life on how to develop further, how to awaken further and gain some mastery over your lower mind. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And the way that you've explained, uh, you know, our mind is, have you heard about these virtual reality games where your friends, teams of four to five or maybe six can go into a large room. The room is actually fully empty. There's nothing in the room. But then you put on these simulation goggles or like a helmet. And as soon as you switch the button on, you know, the world manifests and you enter the room and then you see, you know, like monsters and demons and soldiers with guns and you feel like you're in a different world. But only once you come out of that room and you take off that helmet, do you realize that, wait, that was, you know, that was just uh, an illusion, right? That, that's, that's not part of you. Yes, you took on that identity or that mind or you're using it for a short period of time, but your true self is is the is the higher mind so to speak the one that is witnessing everything that is unfolding yeah, well well that's your higher mind the true self is, is the soul is the soul. And, okay yeah and to get the analogy i mean i had a very very vivid dream two right. nights ago but when i woke up i thought oh it was just a dream and we're living a dream right now and, and we can progress through levels of less and less dreaming until we're fully awake. Because, um, go ahead. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, I'm sure we've all had this experience of having a beautiful dream or we're trying to escape from danger or we've been even, I used to do a lot of traveling when I was dreaming. It was just so much fun to rise up and go through walls 
and see the earth. Well, when I woke up, yeah, I guess the sober court, that was probably an out-of-body experience. When I woke up, I thought, oh, well, I was flying again. That was, that was kind of fun. But I came back to the reality I, I was stuck in. So, um, yeah, so there are levels of reality and, and, and relative truths. I mean, some, some friends will say, you know, everything's happening simultaneously. There, there is no time. Well, I mean, in a higher reality, there is no time. But I would like those friends to prove that World War One is happening during World War Two. I mean, I, I don't think they'd be able to do it. So right now in the physical, we have time. And one of, one of my keys for achieving equilibrium, which is actually a very good one for me to remember, is to allow things to arrive at their own time. And all of these keys to achieving equilibrium really help you deal with the nitty-gritty challenges and things that come up on a day-to-day -day basis. I try to make the, the book a new now as practical as possible, really to help people navigate every situation imaginable in, in the best way possible. Saction Tribe, I hope you're listening to what Michael has shared and he said that allow things to happen at their own time and I completely agree. There's something called divine timing and the universe knows what needs to be presented at the right time but most often, partly because of our society, wants everything to happen at the right time and schedules and notifications. And when, we, when it doesn't happen in our view of our, our estimate of time, we feel anxious and stressed. But uh, even the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says, you know, you have control over your actions, but you don't have control over the timing. If it's destined for you, it is going to arrive at its own appointed hour. So let go of all the stress and the worry that's on your shoulders right now. And Michael, before proceeding, I'm going to give some love to people who are commenting on what we're saying and sweet dreaming says the subject was on my mind in the very moment i received the invite excited to hear more thank you aj uh, amy says feel similarly my mother is battling stage four cancer while i've been discovering aj michael newton's work etc thank you for raising awareness to the hosts and the viewer and thanks to you michael for appearing on our show today now uh, michael my question is What's happening in between lives? After death, but you've not jumped into the mom's womb yet. What's happening when you're taking that break, so to speak? Yeah, well, it's so individual and it changes from life to life that you, you can't really generalize. I write about it a little bit in, uh, in Search of Lost Lives because what really came through strongly was my, what I called my cohort of seven. And those were the seven mind-spirit entities I was mainly with between lives. And together we would be reviewing our lives and learning from them and working with whatever spiritual teachers were, were with us at that time. And then if you had a certain goal or thing you had to achieve in the following life, you would uh, prepare for it, meditate on it. Uh, from my writing, I did a certain amount of preparation before this life to, to do the, the writing that I'm doing uh, for some of the books. It's, it was very, and I was doing that on my own. So um, between lives, it's really hard to generalize. Um, but the, what was so neat about recovering my past lives is I have known 
all the other seven people in our cohort of eight this lifetime. We were all here. I knew all of them. And we were, I knew all of them two lives ago. And as far as I know, these were the only two lives when we were all incarnated at the same time. Now, these were the mind-soul entities I've had by far the most incarnations with on Earth. So, um, by far, I mean, the, the only thing, there's only one thing that actually surprised me, AJ, in my recovery of past lives, because there were a few people I was really curious about as to how many lives we'd have together, people I'd have really strong associations with. And I, and I had thought, and I'm italicizing that word, that maybe we had five, eight, or ten lives. But I find out maybe just two. Now, I do write about uh, great loves, and I use that term very specifically as opposed to soulmates, which we can talk about later if you'd like. Uh, I do write about three great loves I had on Earth. And with those, we had shared four or five lives together. Not as lovers or spouses, but relatives, friends. It was sort of like we were building a foundation. So when I think that, we had this great foundation to work from for realizing our great love and bringing it uh, to fruit, so to speak. That is so amazing that you share that. And uh, obviously what you're sharing, it's hard to comprehend sometimes because it's, you know, it's so deep and we're talking about past lives and some people might just, you know, say, what is past life? But the folks who are listening to this are obviously really interested and they've had personal experience, intuitive experiences of past lives, or maybe they're going through a spiritual journey. I remember, I think this was in 2014 or 2013 when I was in India. I was with my family, my mom and dad and my sister, and we were having dinner. And I had the epiphany, I had the realization, and it hit me so hard. And all four of us have been surfing through time and space in multiple lives. And I just held their hands. They, my, probably my parents didn't get it. Right? My sister is not spiritual at all. Maybe they didn't get it. But I just held their hands and I said, this is it. You know? And you can probably, I think a lot of uh, your listeners can intuit uh, when, you know, if, some, if they come across somebody who is in, in their cohort or in their group, because I, I describe a few experiences as sort of like my higher mind wants to, you know, when I first met the people the first time, like at the gym or some event, it was like I didn't even talk to them. It was like my higher mind recognized them. It was trying to jump into their head to say, here I am, here you are, who were we, who are we? It was unnerving. And that would go on, I mean, and this also happened for somebody who's a good friend, uh, my last life, who wasn't part of the cohort, who I went through Cambridge University with, became a good friend in London, and I had met him uh, three lives ago when I was traveling to Philadelphia from Baltimore, to learn more about the Comte de Saint Germain, who was this master who absolutely fascinated me. And I met him uh, in an art gallery and had all these conversations with him. Well, so it is just so interesting to kind of go beyond the veil. But even if you don't, the main point I want to get across is, is to make best use of your life and decide what you want to achieve because I'm sure everybody's familiar, most people are familiar with the famous quote attributed to Teilhard de Chardin, we are not 
human beings having a spiritual experience, we are, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And this is your chance to decide where you want to go and how you want to go it, how you want to go. I mean, now we all have search engines. You can go anywhere in the in the universe online, but you can basically have any experience in the creation. Uh, and I want to caution people to be careful. One of the things I highlight, um, I really only expected to recover a few lives that I was going to type out 10 or 20 pages and share with a few uh, friends could be open to it. But I just kept being directed by my higher self to keep going. And I recovered uh, 12 lives where I committed enough hurtful acts that injured people where I lost the opportunity to have a human life again. I came back as an animal. And some of those animal lives were really very grim. And to the lives, uh, my actions were so seriously hurtful that I didn't come back right away as an animal. I had to go to what I call a state of reformation, which is commonly called hell. And these are these were like bespoke hells. They were tailored for my needs to kind of reform my character, and it was you know really. Uh, awful, indescribable suffering for a seeming eternity uh, because I had created so much bad, bad debts, bad karma debts. Yeah, this is such a fascinating and deep topic. Uh, Action Tribe, if you are watching this on Facebook or YouTube, make sure you share this so that we can get more people to come across this very profound and important message. Uh, please do so and, and support us. But Michael, I had a thought experiment as I was preparing for our interview this morning. And what I thought was, have you come across situations where you have somebody who is in your tribe or soul tribe, so to speak, who loves you and has been with you for multiple lives, but they decide for one lifetime to play a more adversarial role? Maybe they're this boss that always annoys you. Or maybe they're this, uh, you know, a relationship that goes sour for some reason. And maybe the lesson over there was self-love, to not depend on other people for loving your own self. Maybe it was patience, to have patience with other people and most importantly with yourself. That's a life lesson, right? So do you have you come across people who in this lifetime have played a more adversarial role, but in the grand scheme of things, they were here to show you something? Or... Yeah. Well, all the people I know uh, that I identified as having particular lives with and I identified which life, no one is coming to mind but but what is naturally jumped into my mind was my nuclear family this lifetime uh, i was horribly abused you know physically emotionally and sexually by each member of the family and i have none of them before but i can very easily envision somebody in your soul group your cohort who you agree to take on an adversarial role with and because and the advantage of that is that when you leave this life uh, whenever you get together again, you can review it and see how you learn from it. Now, I doubt and I hope I won't have contact with these mind-soul entities again. You know, maybe my mother, you know, because she ended up uh, kind of moving towards spirituality in her own way. And, um, you know, she painted two portraits of, of my teacher and, and read a number of spiritual books. But she absolutely did not believe in reincarnation. She said, you're a fool to believe that after you die, you're just going to fly around. 
and uh, she had a very sudden death from pancreatic cancer. And the morning after she died, I kind of focused intuitively on her. And you know what I got, AJ, was just total jubilant surprise. <laughs> so that she she was still existing. And um, and my mother had had a very hard life uh, through World War II. So she was very surprised to find she still had a consciousness. And I have no, I think she's probably reborn. I still may come across her in this lifetime. Uh, I'm, I'm keeping many, many of her 500 or so paintings in case she recognizes them. So <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. You're preparing proactively in advance. Yeah, proactively. That was me. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So, uh, my question to you is, um, how do you get these glimpses into your past lives? Are you consciously going into a state of meditation? Does this happen, you know, anytime during the day or maybe in dreams? I may hear something or see something and I'm overcome with a sense of familiarity. Like, I've, I've had some very strong deja vu experiences like in Occidental California, Juhu Beach, which is outside Bombay, which is now called Mumbai. That was actually the most powerful deja vu I've ever had. So there, there were triggers, but since uh, really I was a teenager and I was doing tarot with a friend, and then I was doing dowsing in my 20s, uh, and more tarot in my 30s, but not at all that seriously or professionally, but, um, and I could go on and on about some neat experiences, but I just want to progress this really quickly. But I really began to actively work on my intuition uh, in, in my 40s and 50s. And all this time I've been meditating on a very high meditation. Uh, it's, it's basically bhakti and shabad yoga, which I can explain later. It's listening to the, uh, to the sound current, which is within every one of us. But in 2012, I almost died quite a few number of times. In fact, my intestine died, and I was miraculously uh, got into a hospital. I was unconscious for a few days, uh, and they eventually did exploratory surgery, and I had a great deal of my intestine removed. And the recovery was just, I, I didn't think it was humanly possible to experience such pain, but less than two months later, I started experiencing fall obstructions. And I, I don't think there was anything more painful. So for months, I was basically living in the ER and the hospital. And finally, you know, a, a, my surgeon came and he said, you can't live like this. I, I used to be very muscular. I, I gradually lost 40 pounds of muscle mass. I was a very devoted bodybuilder. And so I consented this time to more surgery where they tried to... Uh, to get rid of as much scar tissue as possible. Now, the object of that story is that the ball obstructions were so egregiously painful that uh, they could be triggered very easily by overeating or by being stressed. So I literally had to intuit every spoonful I would eat. If, if I would just take a bag of chips with me to the table or a bag of something, bang, I would have a partial ball obstruction, and then I couldn't eat for at least one to three or four meals. So I would keep losing weight. So even today, I intuit everything, every single supplement, vitamin, 
And what's wonderful about it is that I'm, I'm, I'm being so proactive. I'm taking just what I need. So basically, I started to. So I've been intuitively what I call sussing for quite a few years, and I realized that I could basically find out what I wanted to. There was really a channel between my higher consciousness and my everyday consciousness. So I'm in a different headspace. I don't want to say it's a little bit like being two people, but it's sort of like if you remember those old-fashioned phones when you were a kid, you'd have two cans and attach them with a string. Well, this would be like a living string. I, I could basically kind of communicate with my higher self, and it's really kind of the soul's knowing. Uh, I would I would have to say my understanding of it is the soul's all knowingness filtering through to my higher self, my higher mind. And this is one reason why it's so essential to empower your nobler self and and grow your higher mind. You have that consciousness. We all within us have the potential to be God. Human, thou art God. Awake and realize your 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 destiny. I mean, that's uh, that is that is the truth. And, and that's why we have the human body, AJ. It's, it's because we have that potential to realize God. If you want it, if you want to go on uh, any kind of vendor, by all means, you, you'll be able to do that. I like that you spoke about your healing journey um, and you spoke about the fact that you had to go through at one point a lot of pain uh, because that makes uh, everyone can relate to something like that and I'm sure that our listeners right now are going through some form of pain right now. Maybe it's emotional, mental pain, physical pain or being diagnosed with an illness or disease that they had no control over. Um, and even in my case, right, I, I, you know, I lost uh, my physical, my mom in the physical sense at least, because I know that I can still feel her and she's communicating with me. But you know, everyone is going through some form of difficulty or challenge right now. And in your case, you mentioned that you looked, you know, different before, and then you know things changed. And in my case also, I went through when I was like ten years back a, a bad road accident. There was this time where I was so proud of my flawless skin and things like that. And after the road accident, you know, I had some stitches and I had a broken nose. And I feel that sometimes the universe puts you through these experiences so that it helps you realize that you're not your physical self and don't be so attached to your physical, um, uh, you know, expression, but you're something much more deeper. You're, you're, you're an eternal, you know, omnipresent sort of uh, soul. And uh, to your point, we're all in, we're all aspects of God, but God who has forgotten who he or she truly is, and then there's this realization: Oh, I am God. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not in an egotic, egoistic sense, but in a very beautiful, profound sense that I am. And and you can rise uh, to the state of consciousness where you experience that. Uh, it's a lot more than just stating it, but you literally experience that, that uh, am I, you know, that, that presence, and you can keep going higher and higher and higher to, be, you know, to, to, the, to the ultimate. But everybody is suffering all the time, even if they're not aware of it. I mean, kind of the underlying suffering we're having is separation from the Supreme Being, our, our true home. That is, I mean, in everything... Uh, and in our minds and our desires and our pulls from our senses, all of that is masking that. 
you know. But, but if you ever have a feeling of being homesick or having this indescribable longing, that really is your soul longing to go back to its source. Oh my God, that's such a profound thing that you stated. And the thing is, I think when you get a taste, when you get a taste of maybe the God presence or the glimpse, you start longing for it even more, right? And then you suffer because you're not close to God and you want to experience that God experience. <laughs> Many people look for God outside of themselves. And one of the great secrets is that you can't find God, you know, the other side of the forest or in the forest or in the cave or on Mount Everest, God is within you. And you, you have the, the power to, to go with him, which means really piercing, uh, going to the eye center and withdrawing your mind and soul current to, that is really the inner spiritual journey. Wow. So now you've said that you've had 4,137 human lives. Yes. And that does not include animal lives. But oh, no. Yeah, I mean, it could be counted, but I'm not going to try. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Count, count, you know, many, 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 many animal lives. But before that, I'm pretty sure, you know, bird, insect, fish, plant lives. You know, the soul essence can go into any physical form. Now, to go from human to insect is probably too great a jump. What I found in my own personal case is that as a human, I never went below that uh, as an animal. But it didn't mean that I couldn't go into a huge state of suffering for a seeming eternity. That, that, was, that certainly happened. Have you ever had a life in a different star system? Uh, well, absolutely. I'm, I, um, the first life I discovered where I ended up going to hell, I was the ruler of a, a pretty darn neat country. And I, I was reading a, a sacred scripture and it just came through. This was a, a, what I call a textual trigger where I was reading something and all of a sudden, bam, there was that life. And, and what I did, AJ, was I started an unnecessary war and over 260,000 men, women, and children perished. Uh, I was afraid that a more powerful country was going to invade us. And it was basically a very peaceful planet, but I uh, attacked a neighboring country. I had our army do it just to kind of try to show how powerful we were. And boy, did I have to pay for that uh, usually. And even going to that state of hell, I only paid off a portion of, of, the, of the suffering I created. So absolutely. Um, at the end of the memoir, I go through lives. This is my third planet and by far the toughest, but I go through lives on Bazin and Jorlu. And that's the closest approximation in English. And I describe what you know the different races look like uh, and everything. And those lives that I describe, uh, there's some animal lives I throw in there to illustrate that life. But they're all what I call notable lives. These are like lives that are like starring roles out of central casting. They, they, they're kind of like larger than life lives. And I describe notable life uh, in the book, what, what that means. And I identify 12. And I had really about the same number on each of the planets. So they were more spiritually evolved uh, life on these other planets. Not really rudimentary technology compared to us. But sort of like the more technology we 
engross ourselves in, the farther we travel away from our essence. That's why it's so wonderful that people like you and so many people are, are helping people on their spiritual journey. You know, I, I think there is a spiritual awakening happening in the world, but only among a certain set of people. Yeah, I mean, I can feel it, and I'm sure our listeners can feel it also, the spiritual journey, the experience that they are going through, not without obstacles, but they're navigating through them uh, and then rising or transcending to the next level. And folks who are watching this, if you can, please share this stream because that helps us get in front of more people who maybe deep down are yearning, they're longing for this information. So make sure you share this. But uh, Michael, you once had a paranormal experience, right? during which you were feeling really down and you were really sad. And I think you were on the bed or maybe at your home and you experienced a light being in the middle of the night. What exactly happened? Oh, wow. That, that was uh, really my first notable life uh, on earth. I have been like, uh, this was like an old, old Macedonia. I think uh, from what I recall, it's around 600 before the common era. And I am my brother, uh, who actually ultimately became a great love. But in that lifetime, we were brothers. We were basically orphaned four times. First my father, then my mother, then my uncle, and then my aunt. And so at a very young age, we were, we were orphaned. And it was a very kind of hand-to-mouth existence. But I was just, you know, in bed. Uh, I prepared dinner for my younger brother. And the slight being, I woke up and I saw the slight being across from me. And I was just kind of overcome with this sense of peace and joy. And it kept coming toward me. And it finally just sort of, uh, it was, it absorbed itself into me. <clears throat> and that, that lifetime and what happened between lives, it basically assured me of not having any more animal lives. And from then on, I only had human lives. Because not that long before that, uh, my last animal life, I had been a cow in Africa. So that was that is what I call the pivotal life. That kind of changed everything. But as you look back, what do you feel it was? Was it um, was it the universe? Was it a ascended master? Was it a spirit guide? Was it one of your ancestors? Who was this light being that provided you this sense of assurance so to speak because the reason why i'm saying that is because a few days back during a breathwork session i was doing it by myself but i had this overwhelming in my mind a beautiful like a sun but it was, it was an, this was in my mind's eye and the sun became like an eclipse and then it came closer and closer and closer to me until this white light engulfed me and also provided me sort of like an assurance so in your case what do you feel that who was that <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel that was a, a spiritual teacher I had making contact with me because I, I write about that in, um, in a few other lives. Uh, so it was a, a spiritual teacher. And of course, you know, if I were in my higher intuitive space, I, I, could, I could grasp it more easily. But, but that's, that's what I feel definitely happened. And uh, it was simply destiny. It was time for me to, to get on with my journey. And these destiny moments happen usually when we're very sad or maybe traumatized or down? <laughs> well, they, they, can, they, they can happen when it's really the right time for you to be suckered and receive support. Often when I've been very down, I mean, I, I was remembering 
something in my last life when I was such an ardent seeker. I had met really the highest saint you could two lives prior to that when I was a British banker uh, and I was in India for a few years during the Raj. And in my next life, I was also English working for a family office supply company, but I was primarily a seeker. I was just reading all these books, I was trying out all these paths, and I went back to Cambridge to kind of recapture the excitement of my youth, and I came back very disappointed. And um, I remember I was just sitting, you know, on my love seat one evening, really dejected feeling, I'm never going to find what I'm looking for. I didn't even know quite what I was looking for. And I was just kind of, oh, I was just filled. There was this beautiful infilling of this knowing that everything was going to be all right, that I was going to find what I was going to, what I needed to find. And that gave me the necessary faith. I was just injected with this beautiful faith that everything was going to work out. And it did. I mean, I, that's when I came and I died at a very early age. I was 43. And just to show you how funny karma or destiny, whatever you want to call it, if anything is, you know, obviously during that life, I lived through the Spanish flu. And uh, I was living in London, but I was able to escape to my parents' house in the countryside of Leicestershire. And I had a pretty good time. My favorite cousins were a few miles away and we would get together. So I got through, I mean, it was pretty horrid when I would have to go into London, but then I would leave. Well, I survived the Spanish flu, but 19 years later, what did I die of? The flu, all alone in a friend's relative's uh, seaside apartment. Nobody, almost nobody knew I was there, and certainly not my family. I died all alone. I was really surprised it finally hit me that night, you're gonna die. And I was just from the ordinary flu, I, I, I died. Uh, and what's really funny is that I, I don't think that karma was completed because I had a junior year abroad at the University of Warwick and like a month after I landed there, I came down with the worst case of flu and I was hospitalized. Uh, and obviously I recovered. So, but that life, uh, that led to my this experience of just being infused with this beautiful faith all the faith I needed that everything was going to work out and be fine. And that was such relief. And then I just was able to relax and get on with my life. That's such a beautiful experience. And I just feel that many of our listeners have felt that as well, right? Sometimes you're very down, you feel lost, you feel like nothing's going to work. And then you have this grace that descends upon you, right? this feeling of energy that's all throughout your body. Just this assurance without any words that, you know what? Things are going to be all right. Things are going to be all right. And sometimes you're just going to hold on and just be there and persist and just, you know, survive. It's not about growth all the time, right? Yeah, and have the faith. And I'm so happy you mentioned that most beautiful word, AJ, grace. There is so much grace for us on our spiritual betterment, or on our spiritual journey. You really just need to look forward and recognize it. And often something can happen that you're not happy with, that you think your consciousness about it. You can transform it into grace and find out how it can further you on your spiritual journey. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, you talk also about the concept of desire. But this desire is not in the physical sense, the desire in the context of our past lives. 
Right? So what is this desire? And how can one tell if this desire is indeed spilling from a past life or if it's a conditioning from your present life? Well, well, there's really no way unless you, you really go within and, and kind of see the karmas playing out. And I've actually never come across anything at least written or talked about where they identified the karmas. Well, that's the thing. We're, 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 we, we're in a veil of, of unknowing. We're under a cloud of unknowing. So, I mean, desire is really kind of the, the juice that runs the physical, mental creation. And that's why it's so important to watch your desires. And, um, and not put any values on them. I mean, a lot of desires we, we come in with. I have the desire to design residential architecture. That obviously came from my past life. I identified it. So um, in the book, A New Now, it deals a lot with desire and how to work with it in terms of your higher self. So there, there's, and I have a journey journal I describe in that book. And you can actually go to my website goddard.com and i'll just spell it it's g-o-d for god and d-a-r-t for dart goddard.com and there's a free media section where i have many interviews and most of them are dealing with uh past lives and reincarnation and spirituality but you can download a word document uh, which is a journey journal and and the book really describes how to work with it because this is really an invitation for you to become committed to your own spiritual journey and what serves you best, the way that serves you best and to continue with it. Because so many of us have read and heard inspiring talks, read very practical spiritual books, and then after a week or two, we've forgotten what we took in. This way you can write down excerpts, you can write down promises you make to yourself. It's your way to take responsibility for your spiritual journey. So you sort of alluded to saying that we should disregard our desires? Uh, no, or, not at or, all. Okay. Well, be, cog be cognizant of them. Realize when, you know, because most of us are basically just run by our desires. And in the wisdom of grooming in the new now, I really kind of give you four options for how you, you can lead the rest of your life. And the first option is just to let yourself be pulled by your desires, whether it's collecting classic cars or becoming a star bowler or just really becoming a star gamer and whatever game appeals to you, that's fine. But I would like people to be cognizant of the fact that that's what, what they're doing. And then I have the three other really very differentiated options of what to do with the rest of your life. So I'm placing no judgment whatsoever on desires except that we're, we're really kind of a servant of our desires. Well, I obviously had the desire to conquer death. That came from something. It came from a long life of being spiritualized, uh, you know. But I also had the desire to watch certain great TV dramas, you, you know, and I honor that because I, I, I need to know who I am and I need to lead a balanced life. And your balance changes from day to day. So that's what equilibrium is. It's really a dynamic balance to help you go day by day. Because sometimes you just, you've had a tough day, you just want to let go in front of your favorite shows. And that's perfectly fine. Don't ever judge yourself or, or other people. Wonderful. And I think this is some great advice for 
people listening to this podcast as well, take a moment to really look at your life, especially your childhood, to discover or find out what your desires might have been. Um, For example, in my case, when I was like two to three years old, my mom and my dad noticed that I was doing a lot of drawing and I would draw these fish on, uh, on, on, on notepads and wherever I had the opportunity. But I had this deep desire for creating and you know, doing art and, and coloring and stuff like that. And maybe that played a role uh, in my life in terms of starting this creative uh, you know, business or entrepreneurial journey somehow. But uh, take a moment to really assess for yourself, become cognizant, like Michael put, of your desire. Don't get too attached to it, but just become cognizant of your desires. And Michael, what are sanskaras and how are they connected to the desires? Yes, well, sanskaras is, is basically is Sanskrit, and it basically means an impression from a past life. And so I write a lot about my uh, sanskaras in in search of lost lives, and and that's a way of showing that reincarnation is is true, because I identify certain uh, affinities and and strong uh, talents and aversions that were really inexplicable. They had nothing to do with my family. And I, I tie them in, I connect them to specific experiences in particular past lives. You know, like I had a very strong aversion to Spain. I was kind of embarrassed by it. And um, it, it came from a life uh, when I taught at, at Cambridge. Uh, it was quite a ways back. And um, I had uh, a fellow instructor who was sort of a Jew in hiding. He was not publicly Jewish. And he kept telling me about all the torturing going on in Spain and, and how, what horrid, horrid things were being done to Jewish people. And interestingly, in that life immediately preceding that, I had been an Orthodox Jew in Poland. And that had been a very, very, very tough life. And the only life I write about in which I committed suicide, which is really about the worst sin you can commit. Um, so I and I had the opportunity of having what I call an evolutionary spiritual experience, but I lost that opportunity because I committed suicide. So I developed in my mind that created an impression. It was a sanskara that I carried through to this life of. Yeah, Spain. Well, once I recovered why I had that strange aversion, it dissolved. And and subsequently, I took a wonderful trip to Spain. Interestingly, I had been a number of times to Malaga, which really I didn't consider part of Spain and wasn't part of original Spain, and had no feelings like that at all. So it goes back to what I was saying earlier uh, in our talk, that every, everything actually makes sense and can be explained but we may not know. We're, we're kind of laboring under this cloud of unknowing. So who we are, in, in my humble opinion, is very much who we have been. So many people are cut up in bloodlines and genealogy, and where did this third cousin live You know, 300 years ago? I'm going to visit that place because it's part of me. Well, really, what's really part of you is who you've been and which sanskaras, which impressions surface in this life. Like one of, one of the three lives that resonate most with me this life was when I was a philosopher in Greece and I went to a school of philosophy and 
I was able to be a philosopher because that was actually my wealthiest life, my last 50 lives or so. And that's one of the lives that, that really I resonate with the idea in Europe. So uh, different sanskaras really kind of, I say, bloom and blossom and bloom in particular lives. So you, you may have had lives when you were an artist. I mean, I dealt with herbs from a very early age. And I write about two lives when I was an herbalist. Yeah, that is that is really interesting because what you're implying is that we live these different lives. And if the uh, impression or the experience is strong enough, then that leaves a, an imprint on yourself that you carry forward multiple lives hence. And so who we are today is obviously uh, partly because of our childhood and the experiences that we've had in this lifetime, but also a large part of it is because of the sanskaras, that the impressions that we've collected from previous lives. Because Sanskrit is, a, is such a beautiful language that, you know, one word might have different interpretations in different contexts, right? So if you go to any person in India and you say sanskar, they'll be like culture. It also means... Uh, you know, it's like protecting your culture, your, you know, what you bring down from your family. Uh, but also in this context, it means, uh, you know, the impressions, you know, from... Yeah, many Sanskrit or yeah. uh, Hindi words which develop from Sanskrit and mean many things in different contexts. Absolutely. But be aware of, of, I mean, if you look at your family, I mean, unless you come in with people you've had many lives with and you're very, very close and similar, I mean, my brother and I couldn't have been more completely different. I mean, what explains why so many siblings are so different and have such different paths and, and interests and desires? Uh, they come from the same parents. They come through the same parents, you know. So there's no reason why you, you need to be like your brother or like your father or mother. You, you have to become the best you that you can be. That's, that's the adventure talk to us about deja vu what is it and i think a lot of people know kind of what it is it but why does it happen right well um i i think the dictionary definition which i quote in the book is the idea of, of being somewhere before when you haven't but actually deja vu is very real um i had mentioned my deja vu really the strongest uh, um when i had been to um, Mumbai and Juhu Beach like seven times and I was very familiar with Juhu Beach which was I don't know if it still is but it was very much like the movie colony for the movie industry and my, my dearest uh, friends their daughter was training to be an, an actor and her husband was a very famous film star in India so I was really well acquainted I'd been on these roads well, the last time I was in Juhu Beach, it was for a big gathering of people meditating and walking back from this event, I just felt this pull to take a different route back uh, to the hotel. I was staying at the Sun Sin Hotel and I took this very different route. I didn't know why I was doing it. And all of a sudden I turned down the street and there I saw these like stone pillars of this big archway of some metaphysical society. And it was like, oh my God, I was like, out of my body, my body was vibrating, my knees were buckling. I thought, what is going on? And it's like, I knew I had lived there before. And it was like, all the homes were familiar. And, 
my mind was literally trying to remember the names of the neighbors. But because, you know, time and experience had congealed, I couldn't do it. So when I recovered that life, when I was a banker uh, in the British Raj, and I had lived on that street in one of those houses, and that's why I was so familiar. But also, I had trooped all over Bombay uh, with my friends, and so much of the Victoria had worked there uh, as a banker. So, uh, it's count your feelings of deja vu. I felt the same thing when I visited Occidental in Sonoma County, California. And what I recovered is I had taken a round the world trip after my assignment in Bombay, and it explains why the old part of Singapore and Hong Kong were so familiar. And I stopped in San Francisco, and I had taken a train from Sausalito to Occidental, just as it was sort of a frontier town. And I had thought, gee, I'd, I'd love to come back here and live at some point. And that's exactly what happened. I lived in Sonoma County this lifetime for 13 years. So that goes back to desire. I had a desire to live there, but was it my desire? As it turned out, uh, going back to my cohort of seven, I met uh, four of my cohort of seven in Sonoma County. Was that a coincidence? I don't think so. We are meant to meet. This episode is brought to you by me, AJ, because I'm offering you a free Breathwork Foundations course. If you've been interested in exploring breathwork and learning about the why behind breathwork, including the science and evidence that makes this ancient practice so amazing, then you got to check out this course. You will discover how to correct your breathing, how to boost your immunity and protect yourself from pathogens and bacteria, what the ancients told us about breath, how to lose weight using breathwork, how to improve sleep, digestion and mental clarity using a simple breathing technique. So come enroll in this free course and learn the basics of breathwork by going to my7chakras.com forward slash free breathwork course. That's my7 is a word, my7chakras.com forward slash free breathwork course. Once again, that's my7chakras.com forward slash free breathwork course. Action Tribe, who people who are listening right now, if you ever had a deja vu, let us know in the comments below. Maybe you can tell us what that deja vu was because I'm sure that if you're listening to this episode, you definitely have had some kind of deja vu experience. I remember a couple of years back, maybe three years back actually, I went to the island of Vancouver. There's, the, there's a, place, a place called Vancouver Island off the coast. And I went to Victoria. Um, and I particularly went to this place called Gonzales Bay, which is sort of like a shallow area. It's a beautiful bay. But you can see across the waters, you can see Mount Olympus, you can see America on that side. And I felt this very familiar experience, sort of like a Satori moment where everything ceased, time ceased. I was enjoying this beautiful water. I could see the sun glistening on the water. And I felt like I could have just rested there for the whole day. You know, we also missed our bus, which was the other thing, because we were doing a tourist thing around the city, but we missed our bus. And I picked a stone and I bought it home and I still have that, that rock as a reminder for me to someday in the future sort of move down to Victoria, because I know it deep down. I need, you know, my destiny lies there. It's a very sacred place, but it's also a very uh, energetically 
you know, like a healing and sovereign place. So people who are in Victoria right now, send me an invitation and I will definitely connect with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly felt a change when I was in Vancouver and went to Victoria for the first time. Oh, it was much, it had such a beautiful higher vibe. I, I actually thought about moving there at some point. Definitely, I, I loved it. So I can relate to your experience, although I'm really positive I hadn't I hadn't been there before. I didn't have any yeah, that deja vu. Okay, okay. So, uh, Michael, in your book, you write about from time to time coming across various gurus or ascended masters, right? So. Um, talk to us about one of that guru that comes to your mind right now. Uh, who was it, and, and and how did you find him or her? Well, I didn't I didn't find him or her. Uh, that advanced soul energy found me and brought me to him. And I I mean I I was you know absolutely blessed and lucky. Now this goes back to my life in, uh, when I was in the British Raj, and some months uh, into my stay there, I thought. Gee, um, I become more familiar with my job in India. I, I wouldn't it be good to visit the Taj Mahal and the Agra Fort? And interestingly, a few years prior, the railroads have been completed, so I can make that journey on, on rail. So, um, you know, I had married, uh, I'd had a hard time finding a wife. My wife had had a hard time finding a husband. So I basically married a good friend, and it really didn't turn out to be the best marriage. Uh, so she wasn't interested in going, but on the train, and I, when I recovered the experience, it was so real and vivid that I, I can't give it justice, but on the train, it was sort of like I, I had this image of opening this, this box of a jewel, and there was a, a pearl glowing for me, and the idea came to me, maybe I could meet a Swami in Agra, and I just got captured by that idea. So I have somebody from the British uh, uh, culture uh, I was in contact with, and he hosted me. He put me up. And so while we were having tea after I arrived in Agra, it was like I couldn't keep the question in any longer. And I just asked, do you know of any swamis in the area? And he said, no, I don't. And so we continued to talk, and then it's just like a light went on his head. And he said, actually, I, uh, an employee of mine follows uh, of his arranged for an interview with with this with this master. So that afternoon, I had this fabulous audience for over an hour. I was sitting on the ground, and he came out, and it was really I had what I call the signal experience of my existence. Is when I, met, you know, in in my knowing, what I considered to be a, a perfect saint, and I certainly was pulled to go back there my first visit to India. I just had this yearning to go to Agra, and I had read about the saint, and when I, when I, and it was like almost impossible to find his house. I just had one of these rickshaw drivers that had no idea where we were going, and luckily we, we met some people who knew exactly what I, where I needed to go and directed him, and when I got back on with emotion and bliss, and I went up the stairs, uh, to, and I mean, his, his bedroom uh, and his wife's bedroom was basically a shrine. And I just felt this utter exultation. And I stepped out on the balcony and it was sort of dusk. And these, these flocks of birds were flying back and forth, calling to each other. And it's like, ah, oh, I was home. It was just 
one of the most beautiful experiences I ever had. So that was a teacher who pulled me to him. Uh, I was very fortunate in that regard. But in, even in my lives, um, you know, between lives, my lives in other planets, I had different teachers. I mean, I was, if we had time or next time I can talk about the spellbinding life, that's what I call one of my lives on the lives of the scene where other people and things. So these trips to Argra, both were they in this existing life, this current life? Well, the life I recovered was two lives ago uh, when I met the saint. And this lifetime was my first uh, trip to India to visit a, a, another realized saint or master, whatever you want to call them, an adept, a mystic adept. But I knew before I went there that I wanted to go to Agra. I felt this intellectual, delicious pull. I had to go to Agra because I, I knew the street where the saint had lived. And I felt such a connection with him. And that's actually the first uh, life I recovered when I began to recover my lives. I really had to know if I had met the saint, and I absolutely had. And that was, you know, the most uh, over, overly joyous thing uh, of my whole recovery, actually. So we do have these exalted beings uh, who are on Earth who come for their disciples. Um, but of course, finding you know, your right teacher uh, is tricky. And that's where higher knowing comes in, and really trusting yourself as opposed to following other people. Like they say, when the student is ready, the master will appear, right? The teacher will appear. When the shayla is ready, the guru will appear. It's when the student is ready, the master will appear. Yeah, it's a very famous saying in, in Hindi or Sanskrit. When it comes to death, the how and the when. Are those predecided, or is it just destiny? Yeah, as far as I know, you know, your number of breaths is literally counted. And you know, hearing that, I don't want people to stop breathing so they live longer. But, but yeah, our, our number of breaths, you know, basically is counted. I mean, it, it's all according to destiny. But we have to act as if we have free will. I mean, if, if you're on a search and you're looking for a teacher and you're just getting nowhere, I mean, don't get downhearted and give up uh it's just you have to allow things to arrive in their own time maybe you are setting yourself up for your next lifetime you know it's, it's all a continuous existence your life will not stop when you have to give up the body and you're pulled out of it it's going to go on in one form or another maybe you'll come back as an animal i don't know um maybe you'll go to heaven you've created such fabulous good works without ego, you'll be rewarded with a stay in heaven for a seeming eternity. Uh, it's just anything can happen. It's absolutely individual. When a person departs, at least from this physical sense, what is your way of knowing that they're still here with you? Oh, well, you know, to be honest, AJ, I've never really been interested in that. So I haven't okay. listened to it. I, I recently had a wonderful talk with a splendid man who's in contact with all these departed relatives. That, that, you know, that has not been a focus for me. My focus has been really leading uh, the, the most spiritually stalwart life I can and do my best to meditate and not being attached to different relatives because, well, I mean, it really literally took me three years to get over my mother's passing because we had such an intense, entangled love and hate relationship 
but I was very cognizant of the fact that I didn't want to be attached to her. I didn't want to hold her back because people have to continue their journey and you don't want to pull them back. Uh, you don't, you may be holding them back from being part of their, their spiritual cohort uh, in their preparation for their next life. So you want to, you know, let God and let go. It's always important to let go. Mm -hmm. Very profound. I love that advice that you shared. Um, and people listening to our podcast right now, I'm sure that they can also relate because a lot of people are going through a similar experience, a journey of some sorts, especially in 2019, 2020 and 2021, the year when we are recording this episode. But Michael, based on all that you've come across, all the experiences that you've had, all the encounters that you've had, beautiful mystical encounters, what according to you now? is the true nature of reality? I know it's a very huge question, but if you had to, you know, uh, take a stab at it, I won't say stab because that has negative connotations, but if you had a... Yeah, you stab through reality. I mean, you stab, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. But, well, 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 well the, the day, I mean, the ultimate... Well, first of all, none of this is real. I mean, it, it is real in terms of our level of knowing, but, but there are levels of reality and each one, you know, kind of supersedes the one below it. Um, ultimately, I mean, the ultimate reality that never changes, you know, you can, real is, is a very subjective word. I'm using real in the sense that it won't decay, it won't change, it's everlasting. The ultimate reality is, is sort of the ultimate consciousness of omniscience, eternal life, bliss, love, that which is beyond <clears throat> words is the sea of immortality and eternity. It's what I've always yearned for. And and there are mind and souls here among us who are meant to return to that. You may or may not be one of them. I, if you have that yearning to, there, there may be a good chance that you are meant at some point to return. Or you may be meant to keep recycling through creation. It really just depends. And you'll continue to be associated with your mind. So there really are levels of reality. You know, at higher levels, there there is no such thing as time. But we certainly have to deal with time here and now. And, and that's sort of kind of one of the points of A New Now, my new book, is to really give you ways to be as present as possible, to be in the now, to make best use of every moment, because that is all we really have. We can't go back. You can't go back uh, to your mother or father and say, gosh, I loved you so much. I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I had done this. Uh, that That's past. Maybe you will meet on the inside. Who knows? You, you know, if that is a strong attachment, you may do that. But the thing I want to caution you about, you may have experiences in this lifetime, and you may have you know, uh, an experience where you think you've met a relative, but that could be a, a mind and soul entity that is masquerading as your relative. That's why all these people who channel different entities, you don't really know who they are. So um, it's just, you, you've got to be very careful within your experiences. And that's why you want a guide, a master, a saint who can take you as far as possible, who really is an embodiment of the truth. 
Absolutely. I love your advice that you shared is to, no matter where you are, is to be in the present, be in the here and now, because I also completely agree, because that's where you can access your isness, that's where you can access your present awareness, your witness consciousness, and that is where you have the highest likelihood of, of discovering the truth. Uh, but thanks, uh, Michael, for sharing all of this information that you've shared so far. I'm sure our listeners have really been intrigued by this. Obviously, you've, we've not provided all the answers, but at least some questions that will help people begin or continue their own journey in their life. Action Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and are realizing that you are not just a physical body, but actually a spiritual being enjoying this physical journey on Earth. This is an invitation to look at all the close people in your life, not as human beings, but as divine spiritual beings, really appreciating any love and kindness that they shower your way, consciously or unconsciously, really feeling and embodying that pat of appreciation, that hug of love that you enjoy, that smile of affection, realizing that these people are in your life, your father, your mother, your sister, or maybe your brother, are not just random encounters, but a good chance that they might be your soulmates who've been traveling through space and time with you for thousands of years or even ten thousands of years. And if you feel a shiver or a goosebump across your body right now, then know that there is a sense of mystery to all of this. We don't have all the answers. And the only truth is that there is unconditional love, my friend. And just like the author Brian Weiss once put, to see and appreciate the soul of others with whom you are in a relationship is a higher state of awareness. To see only their outer characteristics provides a very limited and incomplete perspective. Their current personality, just like their current physical body, is a temporary manifestation. They have many bodies and many personalities, but only one enduring soul and only one continuous spiritual essence. See this essence and you will see the real person. So, Michael, uh, we've come to the last round for today, sort of like a rapid-fire round, so that our listeners can take note and get some uh, uh, you know, ideas to take action. So, what is the best piece of advice that you've received? If you could, you know, summarize that in one sentence, what would that be? Well, you've been given the most precious gift imaginable. Uh, that is your human life. <clears throat> Discover how to make best use of it. And if you could turn back time, spend one hour with someone who's living or maybe dead, who would it be? Oh, who would that be? Oh, well, it would be my departed uh, teacher, absolutely. A private hour with him. But then, you know, who's to say I'm not experiencing his presence whenever, as I go about my house, when I eat my meals, uh, he's there. So. And what is that one thing you do in the morning or maybe in the evening before going to sleep that has improved the quality of your life? Well, meditation. I mean, meditation is really the most important thing I, I do for myself. I, after I wake up, I start the day with meditation and I end it with meditation. What is that one book you'd like to recommend for our listeners today? Oh, boy. Um, well, I mean, the book that changed my life, to be honest, was The Path of the Masters. And when I was a kid, um, Be Here Now was very influential. Um, Walden was very influential when I was a teenager. So the, the, I don't, you know, I'm not telling people they should read it, but 
discover which book is meant for you. I mean, I pulled down hundreds of books when I was a kid with my mom in San Francisco, looking for the right one. It wasn't until many years later that I found the one that I was looking for. So you you have your love it and enjoy it and do the best you can. Amazing, amazing. And are your books on Audible as well, or are they just available? Uh, they're, they're not yet on Audible, but um, but definitely you can go to my website, goddard.com, G-O-D for God, D-A-R-T for Dart, and there, there's a lot of excerpts from all the books and interviews, and you can click over to Amazon, or you can get the books wherever you buy books. You can order them. Amazing. And... I know you've given many recommendations in terms of books today and people can get your book as well. Action Tribe, know that as a listener of our show, you get one free credit from Audible so that you can choose your own amazing book from the hundreds of thousands of books that they have on Audible. And it's an audio book, which means you don't have to have a physical copy. You can listen as you walk or as you drive or do whatever, just like a podcast. But if you want your free book, go to my7chakras.com forward slash free book. That's my7chakras.com forward slash free book. We'll have the link, all your links in the show notes so that people can get to know more about you and the amazing work that you've done. Um, and Action Tribe, as always, make sure that you follow us on Instagram and take a screenshot of this episode and connect with us. If you have any feedback, any questions, observations from the show, email me at aj at my7chakras.com. That's aj at my7chakras.com. So Michael, thank you so much for joining us, talking to us about this very complex and profound topic that is sometimes difficult to explain, but you did it so wonderfully well so that all our listeners could understand what you are saying and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Oh, thank you, AJ. It was a delight to be here and it was a profound discussion and I thank you for being just a exemplary superlative host actually thank you thank you for listening to my seven chakras at my seven chakras.com that is my s-e-v-e-n chakras.com When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.